With that, welcome to uh, Like It or Not with your host, Big Ben Shady. I am your host for this evening, and tonight we're currently getting in with Make Wrestling Great Again Part 4. We had the highlights, careers, we had the highlights of everybody. When wrestling was great at its peak, now is when the WWE started to fall apart. Uh, before we get into that, as always... I'm your host again, Big Ben Shady, and uh, live to you tonight from the stable. I've been away for a few weeks, just busy with my little one, and uh, still trying to get over this cold. I've got a sinus infection a little bit, and I've got a cough that won't go away. I don't want to go to a doctor, because then they'd be like, oh, you got to go get a COVID test, and blah, 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 blah. No, I don't want to do all that. Hopefully it goes away, or if I can find somebody, give me an antibiotic. Um, yes, we are talking tonight. We are here discussing Make Wrestling Great Again, Volume 4. Or Part 4, I'm sorry. Um, now things have started to change. The turn, tables have turned in wrestling. All your hard-hitting action. They were getting away from the ruthless aggression time. A lot of these stars where everybody was leaving... Like, call it quits and everything. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, your Hogan's, your Nash's, your Hall's, they all left out. They pretty much made their money. They knew it was time for the younger guys to step in and dominate. Um, and then you, um, Brock Lesnar, he left. Went, he went on to the NFL and that didn't work on work with him for the NFL. He moved on to the UFC fighting and got involved in that. So the World Wrestling Entertainment was uh, pretty much set as the foundation centerpieces was Randy Orton, John Cena. You had other people, Edges, Chris Jericho's, Big Show, um, the Rock was had finally left. He got out of there. He'd come back for special occasions. If he was helping, uh, like there was an episode, he, he helped Mick Foley. When him and Foley fought at a Rus WrestleMania pay-per-view, I believe, against uh, Evolution, a three-on-two. <coughs> uh, Stone Cold was out. He pretty much was burnt out from everything. Neck was getting bad. Doctors told me I had to step away. But Stone Cold comes, comes back later on, you know, throughout the you know years all the way up till now. Just guest appearances and everything. So now WWE decides to go in a PG era type mode. Now, you had, you know, you were in your ruthless aggression era. And that was basically pretty much things started going downhill after the Ruthless Aggression Era. You know, you didn't have that competition. 
WCW went out of business. There was no more competition. You had an upstart TNA got going in, uh, I think it was August of 2001. Jeff Jarrett went over there for start his promotion, put his money together and got that going. But TNA really wasn't getting off the ground yet. They didn't, wasn't really considered a threat to the WWE and Vince. So Vince and that finally seen themselves as the only competition. And that's where things just started going wrong. Script ideas, bad booking, creative in the back. Just didn't know what to, you know, what what they could do. You know, they've pretty much done a lot so far. And, that, and uh, they burned themselves out. <clears throat> One thing particular, if you all remember the uh, anonymous raw general manager, he was a computer. Everybody would fight in their matches. John Cena would fight somebody, you know, at the end of the night. John Cena would fight... Uh, you know, Rey Mysterio or something, you know, it was going to be a squash match and Cena was going to get the clear-cut victory and that Cena would try to celebrate and then you'd hear the little ding, ding, ding. you know, the lights would even flicker and give that a special effect. Michael Cole, he was running as a heel commentator. He'd come running up to the, the uh, computer laptop and he would read, you know, if I may have your attention tonight, John Cena, or next week, John Cena, you will be in a title title match against Big Show and Randy Orton. You know, a two-on-one match, some stupid shit like that, you know. And then, and then Cena would just have the dazed look on him, like, oh, no, you know, two-on-one matchup. That got very annoying after a while, too. And then I think I remember Vince finally come written into the script that the... Uh, Anonymous Raw GM was Hornswoggle. He was doing everything backstage. But it was like anything that the good guys would try to do, this Anonymous GM would chime in during Raw and, you know, and say, yep, you can't do that, you know. If you do that, you'll be stripped of your title or you would be fired, you know, the next day or you'll be shipped off to SmackDown, you know. It was the party pooper, the... You know, the wrestling police to shut everything down. It wasn't really the greatest of storylines. Who come up with that idea? Vince, Bruce Pritch Pritchard, you know. Who's to say? I got, me, got myself a beer here and I'm drinking, or I'm eating some pretzel sticks. Um, another time... That Raw and, you know, SmackDown went down the hill, went downhill, mainly Raw. SmackDown was actually putting on a decent show because you didn't have the stupid Raw GM and that. And then Raw, they started bringing in guest hosts. Um, one thing I can, you know, one thing I can name off particular was John Lovitz. John Lovitz came to Toledo in 2009. We wound up getting a Monday Night Raw at the Huntington Center. Now, the Huntington Center is not an arena built like Joe Lewis was or Little Caesars now or the Palace. Those those arenas could hold 16,000, 17,000. Joe Lewis, I think, 
you could probably pack 24,000. I think that was the main back in its heyday. So the Huntington Center was only a capacity of maybe for a wrestling crowd, you could probably pack in seven, 8,000. So that wasn't very big. But when Raw came to town, Raw wound up being a sellout. You know, that was a big thing for Toledo, you know. Well, you know, people come to Toledo, catch out the show, catch the Raw show. Before all that, we were getting all these house shows. We started getting smackdowns, and the crowd weren't really that great. But they still managed to come and entertain us, but the crowds weren't that great. So we got a Monday Night Raw. That was by mistake, too, I believe. Because Detroit, I think, was doing something sporting. Joe Lewis Arena at the time may have had a Red Wings game or a Pistons playoff game at the time. I think it was in 09. And then there was a scheduling conflict, so they had to come up with something real quick. You know, hey, let's jump down to Toledo. It's 45 minutes away. Other states or other cities in Michigan couldn't really get nothing going, Grand Rapids or nothing like that. So we finally got a roll come down here to Toledo, which was cool. I went down went down there. It was a good show. But go back to the guest host. You had somebody like John Lovitz come into town. Great guy. Funny actor. You know, enjoyed him in movies, enjoyed him on Saturday Night Live. But he just did not belong as a WWE host. And he just basically all these guest hosts that came around in these cities, they had a tie and connection to that city. They were doing something with that city. But no, not John John Lovitz. I was almost going to say John Cena. But John Lovitz, he come in and he started talking about promoting uh, the Laugh Factory at, uh, out in L.A. You know, and what did that have to do with Toledo? You know, you weren't doing nothing here in town to do something promoting, you know? You know, when I remember John Lovitz, you know, spew off. A lot of people got up and fucking said, hey, screw it, going to the bathroom, bathroom break. And then he had the Bella Twins with him. And back then they weren't really wrestling. They were like the models, skimpy dresses come out there and be his escorts on his side and everything. And yeah, that was just, that was a failed opportunity. The ratings for these guest hosts, they tanked. You know, you would hear the next day, you would read in the dirt sheets and everything that these guest hosts, you know, weren't really pulling in the ratings. One time they had a good rating poll is when they had Shaquille O'Neal come in. I think it was down in Washington, D.C., I believe. That was a show there. And uh, Shaq come in. And then in the ending of Raw, had an involvement. He come into the ring. Big Show was beaten up by like two two uh, weaker jobber guys, and then Shaq come in, you know, and Shaq and Big Show had to stare down. Everybody's getting all hyped for it, and announcers, Lawler and Cole, you know, they're, oh, we got the two Clash of the Titans. Look how big they are and everything, and Shaq wound up pulling a move, a clothesline, got Big Show. He hit Big Show a couple of times. Big Show hit him once, and then Shaq wound up running back on the ropes. He come and boom. He did a nice clothesline, and Big Show took the fall back. And Big Ben Shaq standing in the ring. Come on, big boy. Come on. You want me? Shackalicious, I am. You know, you come handle me. And, uh, and uh, that actually, on a Monday Night Raw, the next day, the ratings were like a 4.2. That was like the last big score 
for a, a WWE programming. You know, they haven't had that four. They've never had a four point rating ever since that night with Shaq. The CM Punk era, they were pulling in 3.2, 3.3 ratings. When CM Punk eventually left the company and got tired, and then and then Raw just went downhill. It was just slowly declining. They stayed in the 2.5 to 2.9 range, had a couple 3.0, 3.3 ratings, then they just were in the two-point range all the way till now. And today, 2021, with the Thunderdome crap, I think Raw's pulling in maybe a 1.6 million viewers. That's very low. <laughs> You know, and I know COVID has a lot to do with everything. <coughs> um, yeah, you had, um, you just had different guest hosts that didn't make no sense. You know, Jeremy Piven promoting his movie. That was a, basically a snooze fest. He got up on the top rope and did a move, and the crowd, you know, but it was a very weak move from the top rope. Forget who he fought. Uh, Hugh Jackman, you know, promoting an X-Men movie at the time. I think he slapped Dolph Ziggler. That was another snooze fest, and the ratings just stunk. They were just in the tank. You had a couple of bright spots. You had uh, Bob Barker come on one time as a guest host. Did his little Price is Right show. Had a little argument with Chris Jericho. Jericho pouting, you know. Jericho spewing off numbers. And Bob's like, oh, you're right, Chris. You're right, Christopher, you know. And that, and, uh. Love Bob Barker. He's a funny host and everything. But he just didn't belong on Raw that night. Um. You had Betty White. She did a guest host thing. Again, that was kind of a, you know, great lady, you know, icon, you know. Like to see her live past, you know, hit the century mark and live past that for a while. You know, but just didn't belong with WWE programming. And then more and more, you know, guest hosts and everything. It just, everything just stunk, you know. You had, uh, Singers come on a few times, Flo Rida, Trash Rapper, you know, Mumble Rapper, Dude's Garbage, you know, you know, and they're just pulling in this younger crowd, they want all these, you know, modern time rappers from 2008 to 2013, you know, got to pull in the younger crowd, they're trying to get away from that audience that was there from 96 to 2002, mind you. They're getting away from that. They're trying to get this younger audience. Now you get this younger audience, this older audience is looking at all these musicians like, damn, what the hell? Trash rap, you know, trash rapper. And you know, we don't want to see this, you know. We want to, you know, we want to see, you know, go back to the attitude area, you know. We want to see anything goes, you know. But it just wasn't happening anymore. It just, uh, it just it was turning into the PG era. Vince did hire some writers that did work on the set of Nickelodeon. He did hire some writers, I believe, that were on soap operas, actually. As long as they had writing experience and they were on TV. There was a woman, 
on SmackDown. It was a Nickelodeon writer. Uh, girl, she's no longer on the company no more. It's Jillian Hall. She was a mediocre wrestler. She didn't really have the potential to be a main eventer or nothing. They did a whole skit with her with a big old uh, nasty-looking pus-filled mole on her face. You could see that was actually, you know, you could see the makeup plain as day. You know, everybody, you know, every she'd come out and everybody would be disgusted. All the other wrestlers would look at her, don't want to be around her, don't want to touch it. You know, then finally I think they killed that mole idea. You had the boogeyman come out. See what I did there for you, Whiskey Nick? Your guy, the boogeyman. If you remember boogeyman come out and he wound up eating that mole from Jillian's face and then the announcers, oh my God, that's disgusting, you know. That was a fun, funny spot, you know. But again, she she wasn't all that. <coughs> uh, I'm just trying to think of other guest hosts too. You had uh, Machine Gun Kelly. You know, we all know him now. He lost the battle against them and them. Made the good song, you know, the rap double and everything. But, you know, after that, Eminem just basically destroyed him. His career was down the tank. You know, Machine Gun Kelly was on there. I think he did SummerSlam singing his concert. You know, another trash rapper. Dude's, you know, dude just sucks, you know. You know, WWE wishes they could get somebody good like Eminem or Jay-Z or something like that, you know. Eminem's not a wrestling fan. But I think I remember, like, maybe four or five years ago, I think they did wind up buying Eminem. Uh, what is the What is the one song from the Marshall Mathers LP? Oh, jeez, I can't even think. What, you know, it was, how the, how the song goes. No wonder why I'm a Martian. Ba 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 ba. Now, they used that song for Bray Wyatt in a, in a package in his matches, I think, with Daniel Bryan and all them. And that was the only time they used them and them. Just, 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 just the uh, celebrity hosting. They eventually, they knew that the ratings were shit, so they wound up slowly fading it out. They were doing it every other week, and eventually it just went away. <coughs> SmackDown didn't do all that celebrity guest hosting. They had different writers. They wound up having, I think, Freddie Prince Jr., the actor. He come in, and he rode in for a few years. And they were actually putting on a little bit more better showing than Raw at the time. And that, and, uh... And Vince didn't like that, you know, seeing SmackDown was doing better than Raw in the ratings, so Vince decides, you know, move writers around, uh, make trades, make Raw the better thing, kind of give SmackDown the less cheaper B talent, and then that hit SmackDown pretty hard. SmackDown went back down to the B, B show at the time for the years. Raw wound up going back to the A, A show again. Um... Okay, commercial break. We're back. Before I jump into it, let me just say, um, uh, give a shout out to my boy Whiskey Nick and his show, Keep It Down. 
I heard he's got some stuff coming up. He's got some topics he wants to talk about. He's got his Godzilla reaction show. Stay tuned. Check that out. Um, I should be probably be on his show here soon, too. Uh, you can follow me on social media. Twitter, Benjula12. Instagram, the Polish guy you love to hate. I don't have no TikTok. I'm on regular Facebook, Ben Marcheski, if you want to drop a line and say hi. Um, now, another thing that went wrong with, went wrong with Raw was in the early 2000s, or late 2000s, after the Ruthless Aggression, the PG era, there was a lot of good talent on Raw, but a lot of people weren't getting the talent push. John Cena was always coming in as the workhorse. He'd dominate. The kids would love him, cheer him, you know, and clean up. He wound up beating two, three guys at one time, different matches. Uh, lumberjack match, him and Randy Orton one time against the Royal roster. <coughs> you would think in that situation that, you know, the Royal roster would beat Cena and Orton, and that just didn't happen. They just made Cena invincible. Now... You're seeing Cena win in day in and day out. Maybe Cena, there was a period maybe Cena lost like two, three matches in a whole entire year. You know, he'd just constantly, he'd be winning and winning and winning. But there was a lot of young talent on the Raw, Raw and SmackDown rosters that were good, but they didn't get the push. WWE Booking Creative wasn't giving them the push. There was a... Uh, Times like Doc Gallows, Thestus, you want to say, you can call him back in the day, Luke Gallows, Doc Gallows, whatever you want to call him. Tremendous talent in the ring, didn't get his push. Alex Riley didn't get his push. There was guys like Mr. Kennedy didn't get his push. Um, they had a good Russian heel, Vladimir Kozlov, he didn't get his push. Um... There was other, you know, wrestlers that could have got credibility. Mark Henry, he was there to make some talent look good, but they could have, you know, he was doing promotional work outside of the company. And, uh, you know, but they weren't giving him the, you know, thank, you know, a, debt, a debt of gratitude. Hey, thank you, Mark, for doing all this publicity, you know, uh, TV work, social media work. You know, plugging our show and everything. We'll we'll grant you a world title. You know, you can have it for a couple months. You know, no, Mark Henry wound up losing to John Cena. You know, there's a there was a lot of other wrestlers. You know, during that time, that just didn't get the push because of the John Cenas, the Randy Ortons, and everything. And uh, you know, again, you know, Batista's. Sometimes Batista felt like he should have had a push. He was one that was a workhorse. He did get his run. He had his championship run. He did become a superstar. And that. And, um. But there was times and feuds and stuff with Cena and everything. And Shawn Michaels and everything. He didn't get his proper push. Shawn Michaels wouldn't put him over. You know, um. You know, Sean, there was a feud with Batista and Shawn Michaels. When Shawn Michaels retired Ric Flair, Batista was sour about that storyline and everything. 
and that, and, uh, you know, they had their match, forget what pay-per-view that was, and Shawn Michaels got the pin on him, and, and then Batista, he started getting tiring of the writing and the booking, he was getting tired of the, you know, bullshit, and he was getting tired of the PG era, too, and then, he did wind up getting a movie role, a couple movie roles, and then eventually he wound up leaving the company. He got out of there. He came back a few years ago. He was worked a little Evolution uh, reunion tour when Seth Rollins, he fought Seth Rollins, Roman, and Dean Ambrose, Shield and Evolution match. And then he did a match at uh, WrestleMania a couple of years ago, him and Triple H, and that was like his retirement match, supposedly. Um... Just a lot of talent on both sides of the rosters just didn't get enough push because the guys just held them down, you know. Mr. Kennedy was one, had a good persona, good mic, mic work promo. I hail from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I am Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. And then he, uh, <coughs> he wound up getting fired. He was in a match with, uh, Randy Orton and everything, and Randy Orton went back and told management that he was working stiff, he wasn't following by the rules and everything, and and, that, and they wound up getting into an argument match backstage, and then that was it for Vince, and Vince wound up canning him, and, and then, you know, Kennedy just wound up going working, I think, TNA for a little bit, and then the indie scenes, he moved on. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll go into that. I feel a little bit off tonight, but I'm trying to, you know, give this podcast to go and give it a proper, you know, for you guys to listen to. Another thing, too, is that WWE decides, you know, you had a wrestling company that had one pay-per-view on each month for the end of the year, 12 pay-per-views. I think they started doing, re at, like, right after WCW, they did have, like, two pay-per-views, say, prior in uh, March and April. Because there was, like, two pay-per-views in March, one early part of March, and then the end of March would be WrestleMania. Or if WrestleMania was in April, early April, you had another pay-per-view in the end of April. But it was 12 to 13 pay-per-views. But then it started getting a little bit stupid where WWE says, hey, we're going to add on maybe three or four more pay-per-views. They do now. They had, uh, before COVID hit, they were doing this crown jewel in Saudi Arabia. And they've been receiving a lot of heat on the news. If you remember, you know, the guy getting killed over there, the TV reporter and everything. And, uh, a lot of wrestlers weren't happy. They didn't want to go up there. Some decided to stay here in the States. The women weren't allowed to go because of, you know, over there in that country, you know, you got to have, you know, where the, where the uh, whatever you call that, the Arabs wear the sashes over their face and cover the face and women couldn't, you know, have their boobs out and show their legs and butt and everything and they had to be covered. So they couldn't have no women's matches over there. 
You know, they so the women had to stay put here in the States. A lot of the wrestlers didn't want to go over there. They didn't believe their, you know, Arab point of views, how they live, how they treat their women and everything. A lot of them stayed over there, and a lot of them didn't want to go over there, but they knew they had to go over there and entertain the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. And they were all mad. A lot of people were angry with Vince. Why is he taking that blood money for, you know? And, you know, Vince is just a businessman. He wants that paycheck and everything. You know, he'd be one that would not really care and in danger, you know, danger, uh, put a danger on his employees. You know, so they did that. And then they were having little special pay-per-views for the WWE Network, you know. And then these pay-per-views were just coming so much, you couldn't have two people together in a good storyline. You know, you would look back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, like I say, a Hogan and Warrior, they would have a good storyline, a good character build up for months and on time before they would fight their WrestleMania match. You know, Hogan, <coughs> Hogan and Warrior would have a good three, four month build up. You know, and then you go to now, say like early on, John Cena and Randy Orton and their feud, they wound up having a, <coughs> sorry, they wound up having a buildup and it was only like a four or five week buildup, you know, and then after that, it was pretty much, after that, it was the Monday Night Raw after they would have their little rematch and then that would be it. Cena would keep the title, Randy Orton would lose twice, you know, from, uh, you know, sometimes he would lose at another pay-per-view, but then he would lose, you know, the night after Raw or the night after WrestleMania, he'd lose Cena, and then he would just disappear. He'd go down the ladder a little bit. Cena would go on and fight the next guy, you know. And then they just started building too many build-ups. I think, I think, I think uh, WWE pay-per-views got to be like 15, 16 pay-per-views out of the year. You know, in WCW, when they were around, they didn't have that many pay-per-views. They were still at 12, maybe 10, maybe. You know, the proper build-ups. Um, you know, AEW now, they ain't doing too many pay-per-views. They have story. They put stories together to build up two characters to fight in their match, you know. You know, the best... Like I said, I think as the previous show, I said the best all-time character build-up was a year-long feud was Hogan and Sting, which led them to Starcade. And they started beginning of the year to where Sting fought Hogan at the end of the year in Starcade in December of 97. That was a solid pay-per-view, and Sting wound up winning the belt. And, you know, and that made good money for the company and drew in good ratings for the pay-per-view buys. And then WWE just kind of went sour with that you know too many pay-per-views you got that now you know these characters are not getting proper storylines you know Seth Rollins was doing a thing with Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio you know and that was only maybe a two three week feud and they go into a pay-per-view you know and then Seth Rollins would get thrown somewhere else fight Drew McIntyre fight Bobby Lashley or something for two three weeks proper mat build up and then boom you know and it just wasn't getting that proper build-up back in the day. John Cena wasn't getting his proper build-ups. You know, Shawn Michaels, Batista, Triple H. These pay-per-views just weren't, or these build-ups weren't just, you know, too many pay-per-views were being crammed, and you just couldn't get a proper build-up. And that's 
you know, you want to get a proper build up to where you can draw in the audience and draw in your money and your, you know, pay-per-view and ratings buys, you know, what's going to happen next, you know. Then uh, you come across, you had women's wrestling, you know, you were losing the, people were leaving retirement like Mickey James, Trish Stratus, Mickey's actually back on the roster now, I believe, you know, Lita, you know, a lot of them were leaving, Ivory, Sable, a lot of them were, you know, jetting off and doing other things and everything, and then they start bringing all these bimbo models in here who couldn't wrestle worth the damn, but they were just eye candy. If you remember Vince doing the diva search for a couple seasons, and that turned out to be stupid. Uh, you had your bimbo women who couldn't wrestle, Candace Michelle, Amy Weber, Michelle McCool. You know, she probably could probably wrestle now, you know, that's Undertaker's wife in real life. Uh, Carmilla, forget what her last name was. They even put her in a stupid storyline with, if you remember, Eugene. Eugene was a special needs wrestler. He was an actual, he was all right, all right wrestler, you know, no problems with him, but they made his character a special needs wrestler. And then they put a, a love story with that together, Carmilla and Eugene. And Carmilla played him like a fool. And then Eugene, <laughs> why'd she do that, you know? And it's just a lot of these bimbo Kelly Kelly, you know. You know, she was pretty much just eye candy. She would speak. House shows, I remember her at a house show, she'd speak and, you know, give away WWE merchandise if you can answer trivia questions, you know, and these bimbos just couldn't wrestle, you know, and the, and the women's wrestling just kind of like got faded out. It was all divas, you know, a couple of divas would wrestle in, you know, they scrap around in the ring or they would be managers, valets to other wrestlers or be backstage doing segments, comedy segments. And it just was a snooze fest, too. You know, a lot of people wanted to see women wrestling. And the women wrestling didn't get good again until probably you had now Bailey, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, Becky Lynch. They got it going again. And you now the women's wrestling ain't too bad now as is. If you remember back in WCW when it was falling to pieces... That the show was basically being written just minutes before Nitro would come on. Because people just didn't have an idea what to do. They didn't have, you know, the direction where uh, one wrestler is going to get over another wrestler. And sometimes Nitro wound up writing the show as Nitro would go on in place. Now, WWE had written good scripts during the Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression Era, but getting into this PG era, Vince wound up rewriting the script just moments before the show. There would be something that would be kind of good for one wrestler to get over another wrestler, and Vince would just, you know, crumble up the paper. No, I'm going to rewrite it the way I want it. And he would write it basically 10 minutes before the show would start. And then he would write his rewrite where the other wrestler that was supposed to lose, he gets the victory over the wrestler that should have won. And that, and it was supposed to be the wrestler with less value get over for their character. You know, for the, for against the other wrestler that had more value, you know, and their, their character was supposed to take a little nosedive. 
you know, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, Vince did a lot of that. You could see it now, you know, during the COVID time, he'd rewrite shows, the, you know, the Thunderdome crap. He'd re re rewrite shows. And, um, you know, it just got stupid, you know, it just goes back to, you know, how good things were back in the 90s and early 2000s. Wrestling had good storylines, writers, you know, and then it just, you know, Vince just canned all that. Vince thinks he could, you know, he could wind up doing the whole show himself, you know. Vince is starting to lose his out of touch. You know, I honestly say that he's loses, he's losing his touch with these wrestlers. He's still looking for these six foot, six, seven foot bodybuilder type guys. He wants, you know, a face. Oh, he's got the look. He could be the future. He could be the company franchise player and everything. And a lot of these wrestlers are coming in now are smaller, high flyer wrestlers. You know, he gave a guy like AJ Styles a break. He knew AJ was solid money. He was a good workhorse. He still wrestles now. And that, and, uh, you know, little guys like Daniel Bryan, he didn't want to give the time of day to, but then the crowd fed into that. You know, crowd was cheering him, still do the yes chance now. You know, and then Daniel Bryan eventually had to have battles, which made no sense against Triple H and Seth Rollins and Kane. The, uh, God, what was the name of that? Not the corporation, the authority. <coughs> You know, he had battles with all that. He overcome all that, and he wanted to be a champion. Vince didn't want to give a little scrappy guy like him, you know, but give it to somebody else. You know. Vince is Vince. Vince is going to work to that company till the day he dies. He's not going to retire. He don't want to retire. He likes working. You know, he works, works at work. He does his working out, you know, exercise in his downtime. You know, his, that's his business, that's his life, you know, being with that company. And that, and he's always fought with other wrestlers, creative direction, fought with writers, you know, I'm not doing it this way. You know, I'm going to do it my way, you know, or my way or the highway. And, uh, you know. It just it's it's what's killing the product now, you know. People hope for Triple H and Stephanie and Shane to get in there and they have a little bit more common touch with the wrestling public in general. You know. I'm sure you all noticed too, you know, Raw and SmackDown. <coughs> There's a lot of talk. You know, you could fast forward Raw for three hours. You could fast forward through all the talk and commercials. Promos and every, everything. What would you say out of three hours, there's maybe 35 minutes of actual wrestling? 35, 40 minutes? Sometimes maybe, maybe you get an hour. You know, SmackDown. You have a two-hour show on SmackDown. You maybe get 30, 40, or 30 minutes of actual wrestling. You know, backstage segments, interview segments, comedy segments. You know, the announcer's talking, talking about a pay-per-view, talking about this. You know, you only get so much of an actual talent, you know, wrestles, you know. And there was, there's always more talking and less wrestling, you know. 
Back then in the Attitude Era, you had more wrestling, less talking. You maybe had 60-40, you know, or 70-30, you know, wrestling, wrestling more, 70, you know, talking 30, you know. And just crazy, you know, seeing that. Um, talent, you know, being punished for them leaving to go elsewhere. Like, uh, take example, you had Rusev in the company with him and Lana, and that Rusev was a hot, you know, hot commodity. He was a great bad guy. He was the, he was the uh, Bulgarian brute. He was a good heel. He played on that. Played Vladimir Putin music at the beginning of his matches. He was a hot character and everything, and then, you know, Lana was a Russian accent and everything, and he was a hot commodity for a while, won the U.S. title and everything, and and then eventually Vince seen that, and he didn't like that, you know, I gotta cool him down, you know, Vince, uh, Rusev was a hot commodity, and then he loses to John Cena, that just cooled him way down, he went bottom of the barrel, then Rusev basically became like a jobber. Rusev was getting tired and not getting any pushes, so he left, and he wound up going. To, he wound up going to AEW, and then he goes to AEW. He's Miro, his actual name. So Lana is still stuck in the WWE. Supposedly, I think she did sign like another two, three year deal, stay with the company. But then they punished Lana. Miro had some verbal shots against the WWE on AEW programming. So Lana's kind of getting punished for that. She gets thrown through a table by Nia Jax in the women's roster, maybe like 10, 10 Raws in a row, you know. She gets thrown, you know, just through a brutal table. She just gets her ass whooped, you know, if they were working stiff on her, you know. And she goes on social media. She's crying about that, you know. Ooh, you know, ah, you know. And she ought to know that herself. She's playing stupid that she's, you know, getting punished because her husband left for another rival company, you know. And that, and, um, yeah, it's just, I think who else, you know, who else left too and people got punished. You know, um, the tag team, the revival before they left for AEW FTR as they are now. You know, the revival, they wind up being a comedy gimmick and they wind up getting their asses beat each week, you know, by different tag teams, different wrestlers. And then I think, I think Randy Orton even turned on them, arcade, arcade, oh, both of them. And that, and they just didn't want to resign and they were just buying out their time. There, there we go. Perfect example. Dean Ambrose, he left, he was getting out of there. He was tired of his character. You know, he's getting tired of the crappy writing and everything. And he didn't want to be a part of that no more. And they offered him big money to stay, and he said no. So he wound up, you know, writing out his time to the end of the contract. And he wound up getting his ass beat different things. Baron Corbin, you know, putting him through tables, knocking him off the stage, you know, getting his ass whooping the ring. And like Bobby Lashley beat him up. You know, um... You know, he was the one that was gone, you know, in time. There was just other different wrestlers throughout the time. It just, you know, their characters, you know, the others had to suffer when the other people left for different wrestling organizations.
WWE, you know, get away with their shit storylines because they're the only company in town, you know. Storylines that just didn't make sense, you know. Stupid storyline when Vince's illegitimate son, you know, was getting down to the nitty-gritty, find out that uh, he was still he was starting to think that Triple H was wound up being Vince's illegitimate son. And then the lawyer would give more clues. Triple H would be eliminated. You know, and then find out that Hornswoggle was Vince's, you know, illegitimate son. And there was just a lot of storylines throughout the years, you know, from probably from 07 to now, you know. You'd have to just, you know, go back and watch some stuff, just storylines that just didn't make sense, you know. And that, and just another, you know, idea of Vince's bad booking, you know. And Vince thinks who's who's good, who's got the talent, who don't have the talent. People that got talent, he shits on them. And then people that don't got the talent, you know, he promotes them. You know. Then going into now, you know, it's tough. A lot of wrestling fans want to see... They want to see the old style attitude era come back, you know, anything goes, say anything off the top of your mind promo, but you know, you can't offend the snowflake generation, you know, man abusing a woman, you can't use racial tones, you know, people don't realize, you know, they get upset, oh, you know, uh, wrestling, you know, they should be acting like that, you know, wrestling's fake, you know, if you believe in what wrestling's doing, you know. You shouldn't be watching wrestling, you know. It's like cartoons now, you know. You're getting offended by Pepe Le Pew or what he stood for and everything. You know, you are you got something wrong with you if you find a cartoon offended, you know. If you find wrestling offensive, it's not real. It's all storyline, you know. They're being paid to act like that, act a certain way. But you can't, you probably can't go back and do it. Maybe... Five to ten years from now, maybe things will be changed a little bit. It could be worse. It could get better. You know, maybe five to ten years around, you won't have the snowflake generation be offended by anything. Maybe WWE can go back to some edgier storylines and everything. You know, you know, Triple H gets a hold of everything. You know, maybe he can bring some of that edgy, edgy stories together again. Um, now you have WWE's NXT, the developmental talent. They don't have Ohio Valley Wrestling anymore. They've lost that years ago. I think their contract went out in 06, 07. I think TNA actually picked it up. They still might have it to this date. But, um, <coughs> NXT now is the developmental Triple H is down there. Shawn Michaels works with them, creative, and that. And a lot of people like the NXT more than they do Raw and SmackDown, you know, because they Triple H lets them wrestle, and he gives fair title advantages to people who are working hard, and who deserve it. But um, if you notice the past three four years, a lot of these NXT guys that were main eventers, a lot of them got to go to the Raw. <coughs> And SmackDown main rosters, and then they would be buried by creative. You know, they would come in, be hot for a moment, win 
three or four weeks to be hot matches. They'd be undefeated and everything. And then, and then Vince and the company, you know, ah, screw it. I'm not pushing them, you know, like uh, Ricochet. They brought him as a hot commodity off the indie scene. Vince, you know, oh, I gotta have him. Sign him up, you know. Come on, Triple H, make it happen. Hunter, you know, gets him from the indie scene. Brings him up. Hey, I'll give you a lucrative offer. Come to the company. You know, Ricochet signs it to get the big payday. He goes down to NXT. He's got a good run at NXT. He becomes champion. Tag team champion. He does stuff to get the crowd going, loving it. You know, Vince decides, oh, I want that ricochet up on my main roster. Pull him to the main roster, you know. Triple H tells him, hey, I got him. sorry I'm going to lose you. You're going to the main roster, you know. So Ricochet goes to the main roster. He's up there for three or four weeks. Hot commodity beats people to get started with the undefeated streak. And then Vince decides, oh, I don't want to push him. I'm going to cool him down, you know. Lose, lose, lose for ten weeks in a row. Put him in uh, stupid storylines, you know, or have him get slapped by a woman in the back, you know, and then, you know, and then he becomes a jobber, loses more, doesn't get no titles, right, you know, off the bat, no U.S. title, no Intercontinental, no Raw or SmackDown tag champs, you know, and then you don't even see Ricochet on TV anymore, and Ricochet's like, well, gee, I signed for this big money, you know, but my 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 career has just gone down the toilet, you know. Family and friends are asking about me. Why haven't I been on TV? Well, that's WWE creative, you know. But everybody looks like all these WWE guys are just signing. They all want that money, the payday, you know. A lot of them don't care about wrestling, I guess, anymore. But ones that did get out were like the Miro, the Revival, you know, Big Show, you know, wasn't getting nothing no more on WWE programming. You know, he got out. January was his last time. They were using him as a legend. He was, like, retired as a full-time wrestler. They couldn't do no more with him. You're not drawing me any money anymore. He left. He goes to AEW. He's got a new gig now. He's working commentary. He's probably going to jump back in the ring, you know. And that and Ricochet's probably like, damn, maybe I can go decide to go back to the indie scene. New Japan, Ring of Honor, AEW could go over there. You know, I can get get back on TV and wrestle again. And there was a lot of guys that believed that thought they were going to go over, you know, jump off the WWE ship. But they wound up saying for the extra money, you know, the Sasha Bankses, the Dolph Zigglers, you know, uh, Kevin Owens's Cesaro. You know, Cesaro was one. He was a main talent that never got nothing either, you know, because of the John Cena's. You know, Cesaro used to swing people around. Crowds would get into that, you know. And, and Vince wound up speaking one time on Stone Cold's podcast. You know, Cesaro hasn't reached the brass ring yet. I got the brass ring from him. If he can get over with the crowd and grab my brass ring, he could be a champion. He could be a franchise guy, you know. He could be a big player, you know, and Cesaro proved a lot. He was a workhorse in the ring. Dolph Ziggler was too, you know, and he just, Vince put him into the back of the line, you know, but then they wind up signing that big money, you know, it must've been good lucrative money, you know, to go, you know, stay with WWE, the revival, you know, they left out of 
they didn't want the money. They said, fuck it. Now they want to go back and wrestle and compete for tag team champions. You know, they, they didn't lose hindsight of their job, you know, the being, being a wrestler, being on TV, winning world titles, winning championships and, you know, entertaining the crowds, you know, and then there are a lot of NXT, you know, NXT guys. There's there's some that went to the main roster and then they went back right back to NXT in due timing. Finn Balor, he was on the NXT roster for the longest time. Great gimmick, great character. Crowd was into him. Become champion. You know, Triple AJ, you got to go to the main roster. Now you go to Raw. You have a good run streak maybe for a month or two as the Demon King. You know, get the crowd fired up. The lights go out. You know, you got your face paint on. But then Vince just kind of like let the air out of the balloon, you know. All right, Finn Balor's going to lose. Finn Balor's going to jobber, you know. And Finn Balor just hated that, but he was still stuck in that lucrative contract and he couldn't get out at the time, you know. So he's back on NXT now and Triple H is giving him the keys to the kingdom, you know. You're back to being a big player, you know. You run my brand, you know. You, you know you're a dominant wrestler. You ain't got to go up to the roster anytime soon, you know. And there's just a lot of other NXT guys. I noticed there's one, there's like a, I think there's like a, a, a feminine wrestler, Velveteen Dream. He's like the Prince gimmick. And that, he's been popular down there in NXT. And that, and I'm surprised I've not seen him on the Raw roster. And Velveteen probably said, I don't want to go to the Raw roster, you know, because I'll be buried. And, you know, and he's still on the NXT roster, you know. Like I say, you know, just there's a just there's there's just a lot of guys. You just have to read up a lot, of, you know. Samoa Joe didn't really get nothing. He went from TNA to WWE. Was down in NXT. He was a popular run in him. Popular dude on NXT had his matches, feuds. Wound up going to Raw, and he wound up taking some nasty bumps. He performed more throughout the year. He jobbed a little bit, and then he was started to get more injury prone. And he was getting injury prone, and then he, basically, they moved him to commentary, you know. I think he wants to wrestle again, but, you know, we'll see what happens with all that, you know. Um, we conclude this part four. Pretty much, um, myself, I don't really watch it as much anymore. I look at YouTube clips, I read wrestling Articles, I see pictures from Facebook, you know, the wrestling pages on Facebook, and it looks like I don't miss much, you know. I peek in every now and then, she's like AJ Styles. I call a little bit of SmackDown tonight for Roman Reigns, and that was all kind of a snooze. Um, WrestleMania's coming on this weekend. You know, two nights spectacular. You know, I probably won't watch it. But I've got myself out of wrestling probably for about, probably ever since CM Punk left, I got out of it. Just started losing interest. I just got more, just kind of boring, you know, just seeing how the matches are boring. And then, you know, being involved, life happens. More involved with my wife, more involved with my daughter, my daughter being born, taking care of her, you know. And I try to watch AEW what I can on YouTube, see what's going on with them. 
And then eventually I got to find me an app where I can have live TV where I can watch AEW. Um, you know, <coughs> I would love to see, I would love to see, you know, wrestling get good again. You know, it's going to be a while, but like I say, AEW right now is the closest thing to what we had from the late nineties to the early two thousands. And I'm going to probably jump back on here for a part five down the road here. You know, talk a little bit about AEW, maybe go back a little bit into TNA. Well, you know, we'll start talking about the upside of AEW and everything and how much better they are than WWE and that. And uh, pretty much it. Um, thank you for listening tonight. Uh, as always, you know, Big Ben Shady here signing off. And um, you guys all have a blessed time. And. Stay safe, and I will catch you again on the flip side. Later.